We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there. We at Blue Wire just wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this podcast. We know everything outside is pretty scary and uncertain, but we're committed to helping you get through your day by talking about the sports and teams that you love most. If you're looking for more great podcasts to distract you, check out bluewirepods.com. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the podcast and stay safe. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. We're continuing our countdown to the 2020 NFL Draft this Thursday with podcast today. On today's podcast, we are going to break down a little bit of a plan, a blueprint, what I came up with for what I believe would be a perfect 2020 NFL Draft for the New York Football Giants. It is essentially a seven-step plan that I think they should adhere to Nick and I wanted to get your thoughts on the plan and kind of break step each step down uh you know one by one and try to see where we're at so my first and most important step Nick would be to attempt and to aggressively attempt to acquire more draft capital via trade so basically the way I break it down Nick and you can then jump in is that I think based on the studies I've read the economic studies I've read it's almost always the right decision to trade back and acquire more draft picks why because the draft is a total crapshoot. You cannot get so you know, convinced by your own convictions on these evaluations, knowing that there's way too many other variables in play that lead to a very high-variance situation. It's almost, to me, like Omaha, like the poker game Omaha, the variation of poker game Omaha, where you just don't have – where you have more information – but you just have more uncertainty based on your hand and what you expect out of their hands. Um, so for me – I think they should aggressively try to trade down. And if not, if that doesn't mean a 
acquiring, you know, a pick back, you know, moving back in the first round and acquiring more picks in the 36 to 99 range, which I believe is the ideal range. And I would love to hear what your ideal scenario is. Mine would be to pick up an extra pick or two in that 36 to 99 range. But even if they don't do that, I would, Nick, strongly consider trading back then from 36 and trying to get more picks in that same range that way. Um, where do you stand here? Is this as big a priority for you as it is for me? First off, you made a card reference, and I love that because my roommates and I have been playing Rummy 500 almost every single night. So that's something that has just been a staple in my quarantine life. But as for trading back, we've talked about it, you know, ad nauseum here on this podcast. I think it's the most prudent and the wisest choice for Dave Gettleman to execute on because not only the Giants have a lot of holes on the roster, but Dave Gettleman has had success finding players who can play in the later rounds of this draft just last year. I mean, these guys were rookies. Pick 95, O'Shane Zimenez, Julian Love at 108, Ryan Connolly at 143, Darius Slayton at 171, and even Corey Ballantyne at 180. I mean, those are all people. Ballantyne, the question marks are still there, but the other four are all players that are a part of the long-term Giants plan at the moment. And back in 2018, Gettleman's first draft with the Giants, Lorenzo Carter, BJ Hill, both players who were looking for a little bit more, but are solid players that were found in the third round. So I think that the, I think it's the wisest thing, especially when you look at this draft, bro. I mean, come on, how many times do we have to say it from pick in, in, from pick 36 to 99, there's going to be so many good players, so much value. So if the Giants could trade back to the Panthers or even the Dolphins one slot and even get one extra pick in that range or even trade down to 10 like you did in your mock draft and still be able to land one of those tackles or maybe even Isaiah Simmons, which I don't really expect him to be around, but crazier things have happened. That is the ideal situation is to get more draft capital so Dave Gettleman can bring in more players who can compete for roster spots and potentially win these starting jobs and hopefully he can find some diamonds in the rough like he did last year in Ryan Connolly and Darius Slayton and even Julian Love. Those are really good players that he found on day three. Who's right. to say he can't do it again? So I think that's a, a huge, huge part. But like we always say, bro, takes two to tango. Takes two to tango. It takes two to tango. They have to find a partner. Maybe Jaguars at nine, Raiders at 12, Browns at 10, Chargers at six, Dolphins at five, maybe Bucks at 14. But that's going back a little far. One and two, it takes Dave Gettleman to tango. and He's never traded back in his career. And even though he made it clear he's going to reach out to teams to start to try to draft some potential terms to a trade, that may take place before the draft or right on the night of the draft. It's kind of a believe it when you see it type of thing, because this is a guy with a track record of not trading back. And this is a guy with a track record of actually trading up. He's traded up a lot. He traded up to get Taylor Moden. He traded up to get, I believe, either Curtis Samuel or Devin Funches, one of the two receivers in that draft, both with the Panthers. He traded up to get DeAndre Baker in the last draft with the Giants. He tried to trade up, according to him, this is a quote from him, to get Will Hernandez, and it didn't work out, and they got lucky, and they stayed at the pick at 34, and they got Hernandez anyway, but he tried to do it then, too. So I think it's kind of the opposite for him. He's a conviction guy. He falls in love with players. He believes strongly in his evaluations. Can't knock him fully for something like that, but... It's, it goes against, you know, for the most part, logic of the draft. So I would hope they can take a different turn here with Judge coming in and bringing a new mindset, a new fresh point of view to it. They've hired analytics guys. I know he called them computer folk or computer folk, the, the quarterbacks of this class, the computer folk of this class. But he, um, 
you know, and that's a terrible Boston accent. I really shouldn't even try it. It's so bad, but he's done some steps that give me some hope that he could consider this. I think it's super important for the Giants, especially in this specific draft class, to strongly consider acquiring more draft capital for this class, more draft picks by trading back. Now, and, and Joe Judge, like you said, man, that's the that's the uh, important thing. You bring him in, he comes from New England, and they have done that plenty of times. They've traded back and acquired more capital and moved around. And uh, like you said, it, man, Gettleman, man of conviction. You got to love that, but there's also a negative to it. You know, taking that Saquon Barkley, didn't trade back, didn't even investigate trading back. I mean, that really hurts my soul, to be honest. But I just think it's going to be different. I think it's going to be different now, and I'm hoping that <laughs> I just hope there's a partner for it. I just hope that these teams value Tua Tonga-Vailoa and Justin Herbert in a high regard because if they don't, it might not exactly materialize. And I'm not going to like go ahead and Jordan Ron at it and go crazy if he doesn't trade back and buy some bullshit reports that like, oh, excuse my language, some potentially BS reports that like he turned down a trade or that he didn't explore it. All those reports are crap. So I'm not going to sit here and see it if a trade doesn't happen. I think if a trade doesn't happen, it'll more so be the case that no teams really want that fourth pick uh, yeah. from the Giants. But I will say this. I would hope that he takes steps, more steps than usual to make a trade happen because it's worth it. It really doesn't. If they're not going to take Isaiah Simmons here at four, uh, it, the, the difference between the Wills and these other tackles for me is just not nearly enough to sit at four. I, I'd rather almost any pick, and any extra pick in the top 100 and not my first choice of these tackles than my first choice of these tackles and no pick in the, and no extra pick in the top 100. So for me, it's kind of a no-brainer. And you know what, Nick? It's kind of interesting because I'm starting to lean back toward and I wonder if, if you feel the same way. That if they do stay at four, they're actually not going to take a tackle. I think I'm starting to lean back toward if they do stay at four, they're going to take Simmons. I, I, the more I think about it, the more I just realize that if they are staying at four, it's because they again believe in this gold jacket theory that he came up with. You know, when he selected Barkley, and it's that he just feels that to me it would be Simmons. I can't think of any other prospect who would be on the board there besides maybe Jeffrey Okuda, that he would feel is like a gold jacket type guy. And maybe for him, it's like best player available, position that still is of great need with Simmons. And again, he fills multiple roles of need. And so I kind of leaning back, I keep going back and forth, but I'm starting to not buy into the, you know, what we see these reports, the beat writers, you know, trying to take what he's saying at the press conference, all to mean tackle, 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 because you know, I start to think about it and I just, it doesn't make as much sense to me that he would see a blue chip guy, unless maybe it's Wills, because a case can be made that Wills is borderline blue, like borderline Hall of Fame. I don't want to say Hall of Fame for Wills, but, you know, a really good prospect. And yeah, so much, so much has to happen. And I, and I yeah. understand where you're coming from with Isaiah Simmons, but I still think it's going to be tackle, man. I think Dave Gettleman has to know, hey, I invested a, top six pick in the last two drafts on a running back and a quarterback. And I need to draft somebody who can maximize their skill sets. And that's going to be a tackle. And I think he'll bite the bullet like he did last year. He bit the bullet. He came out and he said, love Josh Allen, had a high grade on Josh Allen. It was so hard for me to pass up a Josh Allen, but we went with Daniel. And I think it's a similar case. I think it would be hard for him to draft 
or to pass on Isaiah Simmons. Right. But I think he knows he has to protect his most important assets right now, which being Saquon Barkley, being Daniel Jones. And I think it would be Jedrick Wills or Mackay Becton or somebody along those lines if he does stay put at four. But let's hope he trades yeah. back and gets that capital. It's just a lean for me, Nick. It's just a lean. It's a slight lean now. I keep leaning back. It kind of convinced me yesterday that if they stay at four, it'll be OT. I started with if they stay at four, I think it'll be Simmons. And now I'm kind of leaning back there. But one thing I am not uh, more, uh, way more than a full lean for me is that I don't think, and I know some people have talked about it, I don't think there's any chance that the Giants will stay both 4-36 and 36 and go offense-offense in the first two rounds. Some people have discussed it. A lot of people have said tackle center, tackle center, tackle center. First of all, I don't even like any of these centers that are going to be there at 36, um, unless maybe Ruiz is there, and then I'm like open to it but don't love it. Any of the other centers I would think would be a disaster pick at 36. Really disastrous to take a Matt Hennessy at 36. But but um, I just don't see it regardless of them going tackle-tackle, tackle-center, anything like that, tackle-receiver, you know, um, tackle-tight end, let's say. I mean, that's more unlikely given this tight end class. But I don't see it. I don't pe- think people realize that this defense is going to get the picks. The defense needs to be invested in. They just went back-to-back. Uh, running back guard in 2018 with their first two picks. And then obviously they did some defense last year. They took a tackle and a, and a corner, but they're nowhere near where they need to be on that side of the ball. And they're much closer on the offensive side of the ball. So that I'm going to rule out. I think it's unlikely, even though some you know fans have talked it up as a strong possibility. I won't strongly rule it out. Uh, I see where you're coming from, but I also can see Gettleman going along with the mindset. Like, look, we brought in Bradbury, who he obviously loves. We brought in Martinez. We brought in Fackrell. And we can invest maybe the 99 and the 110. Maybe they have higher grades on players that are going to be around in late day two, early day three that they like. And they will draft them at that range of the draft. It really depends on who falls. That's really what, gonna, what it's going to come down to. Who's going to fall to that 36th pick? Now, if I think Zach Bond's there, I think he'd be all over Zach Bond. I think he... I think that's the kind of we, we alluded to this a couple podcasts ago. That's the kind of player that he would love to bring in somebody right. with that quick 10 yard split, somebody with those diagnosing skills, somebody who kind of has a hybrid position that can be used interchangeably. But yeah, I wouldn't totally rule it out if the right value falls to pick 36 on the offensive side of the ball if they go tackle at four. Sure. And then for me, step two, and again, I'm ordering these steps in order of importance. For me, it's be patient but prudent about drafting a wide receiver. I believe that, in my mind at least, given the Giants' current roster and depth chart at wide receiver, their roster at other positions, and the strength and depth of this wide receiver class, that there's a very specific way they should approach the position in this draft. I believe that they need to be patient but prudent, which means they need to dip into this well. There's just way too much talent available, but I believe they should be patient with it and not dip into this well. For me, it's until day three. I'm fine at 99. I can be convinced at 99. If the eval is just too strong on one of these receivers, they just can't pass it up. But 99 is the earliest I can be convinced. I would still prefer it to come at 110 or the pick after that with a player like Quintez Cephas, Isaiah Hodgkins even, uh, out of out of Oregon State. Uh, Gandy Golden, I'll take that. I'll wait and I'll take that and I'll use that fourth round pick instead to get a linebacker or a defensive back or an edge or a tackle or a center for me. So again, it's patience, but prudence here. I want them to take one. I think they need to dip in. And for me, some of the guys I really love for them are going to be there. I think at the, either the end of day, day two at that 99th pick with Brian Edwards, Chase Claypool, uh, at a Notre Dame and Tyler Johnson at a Minnesota, but potentially more likely 
at the beginning of day four, where they can maybe get guys like Van Jefferson, Donovan Peoples-Jones, who I like a lot. I know you're not as huge on, but I like him. And then even deeper into round five, Quintez Cephas from Wisconsin. I think he's one of the best values in the draft. Isaiah Hodgkins, Gabriel Davis, and James Prochet. These are four guys I love on the Giants. You could throw in Gandy Golden. I know you really like Gandy Golden. Five guys I really like that I think are going to be there for sure on day three. So I just, I don't see the value of going any higher. And I think for me, this is a big step in my perfect draft to get a wide receiver, but to wait to get a wide receiver. Yes, of course. For the New York Giants, exactly. When you look at some of the other teams, I think there are teams that are selecting the first round that should go receiver. I'm sure you agree. Packers, Eagles, that has to be an option for the Giants at 36. And I've seen some really big national draft uh, people who cover the draft, you know, draft analysts say, yo, yeah, pick 36. Giants go receiver. I just think that that's ridiculous when you can get someone like Gandy Golden or Donovan Peoples-Jones. I'm not too low on Donovan Peoples-Jones. I love his athletic profile. There just wasn't the production at Michigan. Maybe he just didn't mesh with the offense, but I think the ceiling is pretty high for him. Van Jefferson was excellent at the Senior Bowl, so I love that call. He ended up hurting his foot, so maybe he slid down because he didn't go to the combine and test, and maybe right. people will be worried about the medicals. Brian Edwards, John Ledger talked about him extensively, friend of the podcast, John Ledger, that is. He loves his game coming out of South Carolina. So, yeah, there's so many options there. At we 99. Love Johnson, by the way. We freaking love that. Me and you, me and you have talked off pot about Tyler Johnson. To me, he's like – a guaranteed Tyler Boyd type. And I lo- I think Tyler Boyd is so underrated anyway, to begin with. I think, I think it's a very good comparison right there. Boyd might have a little bit higher athletic uh, profile than Tyler Johnson, sure. but that that's my only my only issue is he's not the best athlete. But man, he's just a technician as a route runner. Such great, a technician. Such a technician. Great body control in the air. Really yeah. good hands. And like, again, like, I, like I've said countless times on this podcast, I used to write for the Golden Gophers uh uh, the gopher report and i had to watch all this minutes of the game and i'm like dude that receiver is so good and then he stayed and then he didn't get a senior bowl invite this year which i was just flabbergasted about i thought it was i thought it was crazy and jim Nagy usually nails that so i think that could be something that bites him in the butt to be honest because i think yeah. tyler Jones could be a really good player yeah i was very surprised at that too i'm, I'm really not sure what happened there but that's definitely a player. And even like, you know, if Chase Claypool continues to fall and he's there at 99, can you pass on a guy who's six foot four, 238 pounds and ran a sub four, four? Like, what did he run a four, three, nine? I think he ran a sub four, four, right? I believe it was a four, three, nine. I don't have the, uh, the numbers in front of me, but yeah, he had the combine of ages at the wide receiver position, but yeah, go ahead. Everyone's saying that like the NFL split on him. Some people think he's going to be a tight end. Some people think he's going to be a wide receiver. To me, I I, I hate like yeah. how like like front offices and the NFL is guilty of this. How they try to like compartmentalize these players instead of being like, okay, we can draft this player and figure out what he yeah. can do for us if they have that kind of skill sets. Now I know a lot of people weren't as high on him at Notre Dame and he didn't show necessarily the, the traits that his athletic profile suggests. But at the same time, he had pretty bad quarterback play there at Notre Dame too. So I, I think it, if he's right. there in 99, I think it's an option, but for the giants again, like you said, and like we, you alluded to in your own, in your own article, I think they should probably be prudent and wait. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might be thinking there's nothing to bet on. Well, 
you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas to you. Are you missing the NFL? No problem. Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. All open 24 hours a day and all online. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE. That is Blue Wire, all one word, to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. Bet online, your online wagering solution. And then we move on to step three for me, Nick. And step three for me, I think, can be accomplished a little deeper and later and really at all times. Not at all times, sorry. In the first few rounds of this draft. And that's exciting to me because originally I kind of thought they wouldn't be able to do this, accomplish this, unless they did it early. But the more I dive into this position, I see deeper prospects for what I'm looking for. And that's to add athleticism and overall speed to the linebacker position. And this is obviously the off-ball linebacker position, not the edge. Those are different position. But I'm really starting to lock on to guys I like a lot here that aren't necessarily going to go in that first or second range. Um, and, you know, I'm talking about uh, just find another linebacker like like the Michael Boley. Like the Michael Boley era was awesome with the Giants, but it lasted so short. It was 2009 through 2010. And really that lack of athleticism at the off-ball position, linebacker position dates back to George Young. The old George Young, you know, playbook was to get the B.J. Goodson types, big thumpers in the middle. And there was a time where that was awesome in the run-heavy NFL that was great. It worked really well. But it hasn't been the case for years now. And the Giants have been getting absolutely killed in the middle of the field in pass coverage due to the play of their linebackers. So they really need to take a big step forward toward fixing this. I think they did a little bit by getting Connolly last year. He liked what I saw in limited sample size. I think that Blake Martinez will be better in coverage than people realize. And then off the edge, Cairo Fackrell is going to be better in coverage than people realize. But they could so benefit from one of these athletic off-ball linebackers, like to the point where a guy that's really rising up my board, and we'll probably do another separate pod maybe on our just draft crushes, our favorite players. But Willie Gay Jr., man, the more I, I see Willie Gay Jr., the more I'm starting to think if he's the pick at 36, God bless, I'm happy with it because I really like the guy. I'd almost, I think I'd take him over Kyler, uh, over um, Kenneth Murray, to be completely honest with you at this point, which would seem a little bit, would would seem like a little bit of a stretch because of the sample size. But if Willie Gay had played more games, I really think he'd be viewed as a better linebacker as Murray. He's just as athletic, and he's actually a lot more extinctive and much better in coverage than Murray is. So for me, Murray's more of a weapon, a pass rusher, an attacker downhill. But I really like Gay. But in addition to Gay, I think they could have a shot to get a guy like Akeem Davis-Gaither potentially, uh, depending on where they're picking. I don't know how they'll get Patrick Queen. But as I dive deeper into this, Logan Wilson out of Wyoming, I really like him. Justin Strand. I even have some sleepers I'll get to deeper than uh, – I'm sorry, not Strand. Strand. I don't know how to pronounce Justin Strand's name from Wake Forest, the kid from Wake Forest, but he's quick as hell. Yeah, he's quick. I actually watched a couple games of him. I don't know if his notes in front of me, but uh, I didn't come away as as in love as I wanted to because he was that athletic linebacker that a lot of people weren't really talking about. But I think just against the run, I had some concerns, which it, it's going to happen. Willie Gay, I have some concerns against the run, but like you put you, you, you put him at will linebacker and have him be a backside pursuit defender. I mean, that guy's just – he's so explosive and he covers so much range. And obviously, Logan Wilson – 
there there were athletic questions going in the combine. He did really well. I don't. He doesn't have the athletic upside of Willie Gay or Akeem Davis Gaither. But I think Logan Wilson's going to be a, a really good player in the NFL yeah. that people are just coming around to you now. Get him at the end of day three potentially. I think the NFL is going to, I don't know, man. Something tells me the NFL is on top of their shit. And yeah. someone like Logan Wilson might go a little bit before I originally thought. Guy out of Oregon. I really think he's an athletic type that could be really good fit for the Giants just in this role. Love that call. I think, I think Troy Dye is an excellent call there. He's, he's, another too. he's going way under the radar, Troy Dye. I remember a lot of people were talking about him earlier on in the process, yeah. but uh, yeah, no, he's definitely somebody that is uh, can cover a lot of ground, really excellent movement skills, and is pretty solid in man coverage with a lot of good. He has a lot of good size as well. I think he's like two hundred thirty pounds, six foot four. So that's something uh, I don't have his uh, combine numbers in, in front of me, but he's um, he's definitely somebody that interests me. Also, another player who needs a lot of development because he's new to football is Davion Taylor, out yeah. of. Uh, Colorado. I want to say he, for religious reasons, he didn't play football for a pretty uh, long time. He just started playing, I think, uh, when he went to college and Colorado brought him in. He might have been a Juco transfer. I'm not 100% sure, but Colorado brought him in and he was just an excellent athlete who really just didn't know what he was doing. So he's somebody that definitely um, entices me as well as somebody later on in that third day when it comes to athletic linebackers. Yeah, there's a lot of names I just didn't expect there to be. For these athletic, potentially coverage-first linebackers that can fill such a niche but important need for the Giants. And so for that reason, I really think they need to come away from this draft with one of them. So that's step three for me. That's really high on my priority list. Um, and then as I move forward, Nick, my fourth step for a perfect draft and the next highest priority for me would be to prioritize getting stronger on the interior offensive line. I'm not totally opposed I got to be honest, because I love watching him so much. I'm not, and he was injured for most of his career. It's the only reason why he's going to be like a day two pick or like a late day two pick. But in team UT, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name completely right. The guard from Fresno, he would just be freaking awesome. Like just throw him in the line, grab him as depth and you put him out there. And he's just, I mean, they don't really have a room for him. I don't know if he can play center, but like, who knows if that's a transition he can make, but Obviously, the ideal goal here would be to get stronger on the interior offensive line at the center position, Nick. That's the one they need. But I'm not totally opposed to going day three guard at all. And just with the, with the key, my, keeping keenly in mind of getting stronger on the interior for what you're anticipating will be a power and gap blocking scheme under Jason Garrett and potentially a Coriel-based offense that really needs to keep the pocket clean, keep the integrity of the pocket uh, for basically a pocket passer who has athleticism but a pocket passer like Daniel Jones. So for me, it's very important there. And they too, Muti, uh, he's the exact player you're looking for, but his red flags are off the charts. I, I want to say, yeah, yeah, 2016, he tore his Achilles. 2018, he tore his Achilles. And 2019, he had a Liz Frank injury. So he literally has like seven games of tape, but he's like throwing people out of the clubs. He's great, like in a phone booth, as yeah. people like to say. But yeah, though, though, he's got to slide. But if he, if he is healthy, which he hasn't been able to do at the collegiate level, right. he's somebody who is definitely interesting. Yeah, it's a risk. I mean, there's, there's you know, Robert Hunt's interesting too from the small Louisiana school. I believe Louisiana Monroe. Um, just a lot of these kind of mold, ball of clay interior guys you can mold into potential starters down the line. Key thing here is just don't neglect the offensive line. They should really be taking a developmental guy on day three. They have to find a way to use one of these picks on a developmental offensive line in addition to whatever they pick up on day one and maybe day two as well. They gotta, they gotta really. It's the one position you got to keep replenishing, keep bringing in players to develop, keep giving players this. You know, what do they want here? They want a guy who can come in, 
learn an exact system that Mark, that the Giants are going to play, learn from the same coach Colombo, and then have two years to do it. And then maybe by year three, he's now a starter versus a guy you have to draft in that same year who has no idea about the system and who has not been coached by the same offensive line coach who's going to ask him to do a lot of different things that rookie year. So why not have the, the third-year player there who's had time to develop? And I think they need to start focusing on that. A hundred percent, man. They need to, and we talked about it a couple podcasts ago, a double down, draft another offensive tackle, someone like Alex Taylor or Charlie Heck, somebody who has developmental upside and is a solid athlete for the position. Like I'm looking at, I pulled up Heck's mock draftable right now, and he tested 92nd percentile in the broad jump with 112 inches. He's 30 over 34 inch arms. He's six foot eight. And he's somebody who's going to be available on day three. So I remember he was down at the senior bowl and I, he wasn't, a glaring uh, liability in the one-on-one drills or anything like that. So I think investing capital in a player like him or Alex Taylor or one of these other developmental tackles later in the draft is something the Giants have to do and should do. Even Terrence Steele out of Texas Tech is just something that they should do because the Giants haven't had these young developmental tackles that they drafted in their system. Luckily, they found Nick Gates, an undrafted free agency, and he's somebody who could potentially be a longtime player on this team if he can continue to ascend and continue to develop. But it's something that I really hope the Giants do in this draft is is double down on tackle. Exactly, Nick. And then step five for me, which, you know, probably could be higher on the list. I'm looking at it now, and maybe I'm thinking it should be a little higher up. And that would be don't skip out on a deep and talented offensive tackle class. And I really shouldn't even have to write this as a step, Nick, but you look back, and that's exactly what the Giants did during the 2019 class. Uh, We talked about it in the last podcast. Dave Gettleman went into the draft saying the tackle position was one of the thickest, he called it, in the entire class, and then yet came out of the 2019 draft with just Asafo Ajay, who was, you know, concussed and cut eventually a seventh round pick nothing to nothing really really no investment at all there in my opinion um and they missed and they said that they tried to get one and they missed and they just didn't work out for them it didn't break don't even chance it not breaking this year get one on day one or day two if you're going to skip on day one and go simmons at four find a way to find somebody you like on day two uh or you know at worst take a big developmental type on day three here because it just too they they're not going to get tackle classes like this every year where there's just really good guys and even though next year could be good because seawall from oregon's going to be in it and and leatherwood from bama those are just two elite guys that will definitely be in it but say they have a good year and they don't have a chance at those two guys and there's nobody else really behind them and or it's another bad there's been plenty of bad tackle classes nick so for me They've been two really good ones back-to-back. Both have had depth and talent at the top, so don't miss out on both. They skipped on 2019. For me, they can't skip again in 2020. And I feel Dave Gettleman is fully aware of that. Last draft, he got his franchise quarterback, and then he invested into a defense with a lot of those later picks, and the tackle class wasn't nearly as deep as this 2020 tackle class. So I— I have, uh, and I know it's weird putting faith in Dave Gettleman. A lot of people like to use him as a punching bag, but I, I do have faith in Dave Gettleman that he's going to do the right thing here and bring in offensive line talent to compete and eventually, and hopefully, if it is high draft capital, start in the near future. Yeah, it's it's a key thing for us, so we'll see if, we'll see if they make that decision here. I, I can't imagine that they're going to skip again, even if it just means taking like a Barch, a Driscoll, or Sadiq Charles, Matthew Pert, you know, some of the low, the the developmental guys. I just can't I can't see them skipping it again. And then and for me, gonna... step six, Nick, step six kind of drops off in, in importance, but 
Still very important to me because a lot of Giants fans think you got to you know you got to do it no matter what. Get this position no matter what. There's fans out there still definitely believe uh you know I still think are definitely putting a little too much weight on need over over just how the draft actually works, which is trying to find value and match it with need. Um, and that would be don't force it with an edge player. Everyone knows the Giants need an edge rusher, but that doesn't mean they can definitely get one where the value's there. Outside of Chase Young, I know you're a big fan of Chase Owen. I'm not as huge a fan. I like Notre Dame's Julian Aguara probably more than most. I'd be fine with him at 36. Obviously, I like Bond, but I don't need it, and I wouldn't force it, and I wouldn't force it at any pick. And I'd be just as happy if they wait till day three and get like a developmental prospect like Charlotte's Alex Highsmith or something like that. So for me, it's a position that, although it has a nice, a pretty solid, very important impact on wins and losses— I okay with what they have to the point where I would not force it here. I agree. Uh, you can't force or overdraft even for positional need. You need to take best player available. And I know we talked about going Jedrick Wills over Isaiah Simmons. I have a high enough grade on Jedrick Wills where I could justify that at the right. tackle position. But if you're p- talking about selection 36, I'm not going to overdraft somebody and and not select a center, maybe a top, if Ruiz is there or Ashton Davis or what have you. Julian Aquara, 36, is maybe a little bit too rich for me, but I do like the player. I, I do think there are some question marks. Obviously, he missed a lot of games in his college career, but I do love his twitch and his explosiveness, as I said. And if Zach Bond's there at 36, that's just right at home, sail it in. Hopefully, the Giants go in that direction. But you look at the rest of the edge group, man. I like Josh Uche, but he has a lot of he has linebacker traits too. Definitely needs more of a pass rushing repertoire. Granted, he's a more slender guy at 241, but I really liked his bull rush, especially against Tristan Wirfs. I think he can generate a lot of power from his lower body. Terrell Lewis, he has a lot of injury concerns. Looks the part, but though that. You know, you have to weigh that in. So I picked 36. That's a little bit rich. Daryl Taylor, he's somebody at 99, I think, a twitched up player who the Giants could look at investing in. And then you have the later guys, the Bradley and Nyes, who doesn't have that high athletic upside. Kenny Willekes gets knocked for his really, really short arms. Derek Tuska, another guy whose arms aren't really that great. He's from North Dakota State. So I think there are some guys you can bring in later, but they're not going to necessarily... Uh, dominate or anything like that. It's just going to be depth for the position. It's just not that great of a high-end edge class. And the Giants Giants won that game against Washington, and that really was a deciding factor um, to to them not getting Chase Young in this scenario. But hopefully it could be a uh, it's hard to even say, man, that it's going to be something that you can, you know, say, oh, well, at least the Giants grabbed the Jedrick Wills because we're probably going to see Chase Young just feast on Daniel Jones and the next quarterback yeah. <laughs> after Daniel Jones if he doesn't work out. It's 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 gonna be a tough pill. To and I don't I don't know you know I really like Seawall from the next draft class, but I don't know if I like Wills to the point where I think he's gonna win even the majority of the reps against somebody like Chase Young. I think Chase Young's gonna get the best out of him early and often. Uh, to be completely transparent here. And you look at Washington, too, not to dive into a tangent about their team, but they have really good pass rushers there. I mean, Ryan Kerrigan is, what, 31, 32 years old, and he's still producing at a relatively uh, high rate. They drafted Jonathan Allen. You brought in Deron Payne, who's an interior. Love Jonathan Allen. You got, you got Matt Ionitis, who's still yeah, down there. Yeah, another good just, player. They have a lot of—they uh, drafted Ryan Anderson in the second round a, a few drafts ago. I thought that was uh, rich, to say the least, but— it's just their defense front with Ron Rivera as their coach. That's that's freaking yeah, scary, bro. That's scary. Sure. But I think for me, circling back, for me, it's simply don't force it at edge. But if you're going to go edge, draft athletic upside there, especially if it's going to be where 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 we pretty much want it to be, which is day three. 
uh, for the most part, then I think you should be targeting the upside there instead of kind of like the UJ types or, or Willis or, you know, the guys that I just, you know, might be depth. I'd rather go for the athletic upside there and try to strike lightning in a bottle, really, with a day three pick. I think that's what they did with Darius Slayton, by the way. And, you know, I think it's what we'll get to a lot on our sleeper podcast. Our sleeper pod, we're going to try to pinpoint players for the Giants, the target that we like that aren't being talked about a lot as day three targets that are just true sleepers, like Ryan Connolly and Darius Slayton were. They were true sleepers. Um, but finally, Nick, step seven, I want to see where you feel about this, though I pretty much already know, um, and that would be don't neglect finding a safety you can trust in single high looks. Let's not go into another year here where the only time you can go into single high is when you're going to have to put Antoine Bethea there or Curtis Riley or Darian Thompson. you got to have more flexibility in the secondary with the looks, and Finding more flexibility by using more single high looks is a plus, but you got to have the right guy to do it. And so they should prioritize finding a guy like this, in my opinion. These guys make a massive difference. You saw why the Baltimore Ravens went all in on signing Earl Thomas. The minute Thomas hit free agency, no matter how deep it was into Thomas's career, no matter coming off right off a season-ending injury, and the Baltimore Ravens said, I don't care, we're making him the highest-paid safety, and he transformed that defense. In my mind, he's the reason that defense took a big jump. I know other people will say it was the addition of Marcus Peters' trade, whatever that was, whatever people's opinion on that were. The edge guys like Judon, even though they lost Mosley, to me, it's Earl Thomas. It's that deep half safety that's dominant like him, um, and it just does so much for your defense. So there's two guys I love in this class, Antoine Winfield, although the injury concerns scare me, but just unreal player, and then Ashton Davis, who has less injury concerns, awesome again in that role. I think it's worth prioritizing, but I think if not, they have to seriously look into other guys who they feel comfortable covering that ground and coverage and, you know, maybe prioritizing taking one of those guys on day four. Or I'm sorry, on day three or the back end of day two. Yeah, man, you're 100% right when it comes to, I mean, we've talked so much about the the single high safety and even deep half safeties in cover two type of schemes. And having a safety with range allows your cornerback so much more flexibility to have somebody over top. It allows them to play more trail technique, which is essentially allowing the wide receiver to, it's basically playing the inside hip pocket or the outside hip pocket of the receiver and basically trailing the receiver to take away underneath throws. And that forces quarterbacks to put touch like perfect touch on the throw to get it over that cornerback. If you have a safety with a lot of range, that quarterback really with the pressure coming at him has to put a perfect ball out there. And if he overthrows it a little bit or underthrows it a little bit, that safety with range can intercept or force a, pa- a PBU or something like right. that. And I'm looking at this draft, dude, Ashton Davis is the one that really jumps out to me as is Grant Delpit. Grant Delpit might go in the first round. It's really hard to gauge how people are viewing him because of his tackling issues. But Ashton Davis and Grant Delpit both have the range, in my opinion, and there aren't that many rangy type of safeties throughout this class. I think Kayvon Wallace might be able to de- be developed into one, but he he was more used in the slot and as a nickel. Yeah. He, he's a very versatile piece, but guys like Aloe Gilman, who I like, is definitely not a single high guy. Terrell Burgess isn't really a single high guy. Right. And I look at Julian Blackman, Terrell Burgess's uh, teammate. I think he has some single high capabilities. Granted, his range, he's not Ashton Davis or... Or um, or Grant Delpit, he's not up to that speed, but he's still somebody who might be able to fill that role. It's hard to find those types of guys, and that's why dudes like Earl Thomas get scooped up like that, like it's nothing by teams like the Ravens, smart teams like the Ravens. So it's it's imperative for the Giants to find somebody like that, at least somebody who could, they think can fill that role at a competent level, at a solid level. Maybe in Julian Love, maybe they think that he yeah. can fill that role. But I watching. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of Giants fans, and I'm sure you would agree with me too, Dan, watching the Giants last year, the biggest vulnerability on defense, other than the mistakes, 
the mental mistakes was that slot position. And I think Julian Love could be the long-term solution there. Right. It doesn't work out with those other players like Drayvon Askew Henry or Corey Balance out of Grant Haley, who seemed to really, really struggle in the slot. Julian Love, he, he, I didn't really see him as much against those small shifty receivers, but he did a really good job against tight ends and bigger receivers. So yeah, he did. I, I think uh, he's going to be a fun chess piece to see how Patrick Graham wants to employ him on the secondary in the slot, deep half, single high, what right. have you. But uh, yeah, getting a guy like Ashley Davis would would really uh, that would be that'd be really fun to watch and to see how and they can really rotate these. And where are you at, Nick, on Winfield? Antoine, I don't know if he has that uh that that single high really capability. I could see like I think he's solid in man coverage from everything I saw. And I watched a lot of his tape before his breakout year, and he was injured a lot before right. this this past season. I mean, he's undersized. I think he's an explosive player from what I've seen. I think he's done well at the catch point, but I don't know if he has that single high speed and range. And I know he did well at the combine. I think he ran a four four something. He did really well. He ran in the high four fours. Yeah, but I, I don't I question that. Maybe it's a length thing that maybe I'm just overlooking or something, but I, I don't know if he's has single high cable. But do you do you think he does? I actually do, to be honest with you. And okay. I, I love Winfield. The only knock I have on Winfield, I've told I've said this before to you and on and off the pod. This is the most fun tape I've had. Like anyone I'd, I've been able to watch this entire process, Winfield's my favorite the most fun I have. And it's because I think that what he makes he what he lacks in length. And maybe, you know, even though he did test well speed-wise, but what he lacks in what you would expect from that role, he makes up for it with instincts. I just feel like he has that natural safety instinct in deep coverage, that center fielder minds, like whatever it is that you just see from some of these guys at, at all levels that you just can't really pinpoint. I can't really pinpoint it with Winfield, but it's a natural instinct thing with him in that deep half coverage role. And I, to me, like, it's almost like he has the most upside based on that of all these guys. Now, Again, the injuries concern me. Again, four games in 2018, four games in 2017 played. That's no good. That's dangerous type stuff for a top 40 pick or top 36 pick. But the upside there to me is definite, and I, I personally can see him in that role. I like the fact that we're disagreeing. I mean, I don't even necessarily want to say I disagree yeah, right. per se. I just, uh, from the things I have seen, especially I'm going back on his 2018 tape, I didn't necessarily see it. I haven't watched as much of him in 2019, but what I have seen is an aggressive physical player for his size is really disruptive at the catch point. I don't believe they used him in single high too often. I think he was no. more like a drop down into the slot man coverage right. and uh, like a strong safety type. And again, I hate, I hate to knock size too. I do have some concerns about that, especially when you compound it with the durability issue. Yeah. There's just fair concerns. These are real concerns, yeah. especially if you're using investing such a top pick. I remember I liked Darian Thompson coming out. He ended up being a really big bust for the giants. And I thought he was a steal when they took him in the third round. Mm -hmm. And part of the reason he was a bust was because he was a terrible tackler at the third level. But another reason was the durability issues. He just kept getting hurt his entire career with the Giants. And he just felt like he never got to see what he was capable of. So when you take these defensive backs high, you're taking a risk because they're smaller guys. And they're, they're, they're more prone, I think, to, to, to getting injured. Yeah, he was a hunter, man, in the back end. He, could, he really yeah. saw the field well. And he really crazy. attacked it's the crazy. ball well. Yeah, it's crazy that you just didn't get that at the NFL level. No, no, you did not. And again, injuries played a part, but at the a same huge time, part for sure. You, you do see good players get injured and then they're able to come back. But who knows what, what, what everything that was going on with the Giants? It was like a turmoil kind of situation with mm -hmm. with the Giants coaching staff, and there was definitely a disconnect between the Giants coaching staff, the front office. It, sure. it wasn't 
again, we compared it a couple podcasts ago to the Jets and the Browns, and that's kind of what the Giants have slowly become. And if they don't get out of this picking in the top 10 yeah. every freaking year, then they're going to become that. And that's a, yeah. that's a fucking disgrace because this is one of the staples of the NFL. You think of the NFL, you think of the Steelers, you think of the Giants, you know, and those those franchises that have just been around for so long. But they, they need to get back to that, man. They need to get back to those George Young success years because it, it's just not there right now. Yeah, and they're, you know— Nobody likes to talk about it, but there was a lot that went down in that in that collapse under McAdoo season, that 2018 collapse. There's a lot of crap that went down in the locker room and with these players that the Giants felt they had to get they had to get rid of and they had to trade away or cut to really rechange the culture. If that's the case, that you puts you in a really bad spot because it means you have to get rid of all your big names, your Damian Harrison, your Landon Collins, your Odell Beckham Juniors, and. Those are and Eli Apple, and those are guys that you invested a lot in and needed to be core players. Demontre Moore, oh my god, right. the, the list, the list just goes that. on. But use these are guys that were already proven. I'm talking about core guys that they felt weren't going to be a, based on some things that we don't know information. We don't know it wasn't going to work out, and I don't think they're really wrong. There was a lot of talking from those guys, and things seemed to really spiral out of control in that locker room. And that's not something you'd expect from a leader. You know, a Ray Lewis locker room is not turning in that direction or something like that. So to me, you know, I heart back on that. I, it, it just further solidifies why I'm happy they got rid of Odell Beckham from this roster. It just It just wasn't going to work out, I don't think, with him here. I, I mean, I'd be surprised if it works out anywhere with him. I just, until he matures a little bit more. Uh, you know, you don't want to say that about an athlete. You, I know you don't like to ever talk personally about an athlete, Nick, but no, but I agree from that. I 100% agree from that aspect, yeah. though, dude. I mean, he has a maturity issue. I mean, the guy faked pissing on a field and tried to propose to it. I mean, Odell Beckham, you're the 100%. Thing he did, the thing he did with the LSU band director is unforgivable to me in the LSU in their championship game where he's just totally made a mockery of that guy. That guy's working hard trying to conduct the band there, and he's just taking over the mic, the loud mic, and, and just totally just acting like that guy's a, a second-rate citizen. It's just, it was ugly to me. I guess he, I, I heard he was, like, on drugs or something. So, like, if that's some kind of excuse, I guess. But, you know, it's it's it was a disaster, and it wasn't working out, and he was just a receiver. Like, if this was a left tackle, I would have done everything I could to keep him on the Giants roster. Like, for sure. Like, you can't get rid of a left tackle. But, I mean, a left tackle would never really be that immature and, and self-focused, I don't think. so. He has narcissistic tendencies, and there's That's no— That's not be obvious. I don't know how, you know, like, people could—you shouldn't have said that, though, Nick, because some Giants fans will kill you for this take. Just kill but you. For it. But it, but I feel like it's when you look at the things that he has done off the field and the attention that he has drawn to himself. I think it's kind of obvious. I don't think that's a ridiculous take to say. Now I think it's obvious as well. I don't think he was a bad teammate, and I'm not necessarily saying that because it seems like a lot of people raved about him as a teammate. But yeah. I do think he loves the attention, he loves the limelight, and he loves to draw attention to himself. Even being on the sidelines, giving money to Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase after the uh, national championship game, and making it very, very obvious in front of a planted camera. I think that's a, I think that like that draws unnecessary attention to your program, and I just think it's him making it about himself sometimes. And it's it's always about himself, and you know he get lauded, he got lauded by his teammates as a great teammate. Sure, on paper he's the definition of a great teammate, but. There's things that happen that make you, or there's, when you're pouting on the sidelines 
And when you're throwing your hands up, if the pass is a little inaccurate, and when you're going on ESPN and not confirming that you're happy you signed the contract, talking about how you'd rather be in L.A. and how you'd rather have a different quarterback, those are little things that don't make you a good teammate, in my mind, at least. They don't. And I think they wire off. When you're pouting on the sidelines, your bad body language, throwing your hands up, that rubs off on other people, and it brings everyone down a level. Yeah, the ESPN one, too, going on ESPN during a season and kind of throwing yeah, Eli Manning under the bus. That one's season. huge to me. That's a bad like that's a bad teammate move. Like, I don't think there's any other way to quantify that. Well, there's other no people will tell you the Giants failed him by not upgrading quarterback for him. Yeah, it's just well, all crazy stuff. We're talking about a receiver here. These guys don't even make a difference. Like, what kind of difference do these guys make? No re- number one receiver has ever won a Super Bowl for a team. The Browns were awful last year after adding Beckham. And the Julio Jones has never won the Falcons a Super Bowl. AJ Green has never won the Bengals a Super Bowl. You know, all every top receiver, you can't really find many that were were the focus of an offense on a Super Bowl winning team. I, I see what you're saying. I don't necessarily view it that way because I just view everybody as assets towards the main goal of winning a Super Bowl. Yeah, but fine, when sure. when you're when you're acting that way, then yes. And I know Odell Beckham, incredible talent and very very talented player. But do you want to put up with that? A quote unquote headache, if you want to use that term. And Dave Gettleman, I don't believe Dave Gettleman really wanted to give out the contract that he gave to Odell. And then I think everything got proven to John Mara when he went on ESPN and he was saying the things that he was, where he was like, you can trade this guy. And that's it wasn't kind of just happened. even that, though. It was the body language from what I've heard. And it was the stuff, it was the antics in the locker room. There were different set of rules for Beckham. They just no longer wanted to have a player who had his own set of rules. Because I just don't think it sets a good precedent. At least this is what I've heard. And Jay Glazer broke a lot of this. So, I mean, the, the body language stuff straight from him. Um, but, you know, in the end, they tried to give it a chance because he's a generational talent. They signed him for that big deal to give it one last chance. Maybe the deal would make him a different person. And, and they just didn't feel like it was. And we don't need to go on an Odo Beckham uh, tangent here because it's really, you know, spilled milk at this point. There's no reason to cry over it. It's, it's done and gone, but personally, I'm happy about it. And, and, you know, to your point, I'd say this, Nick. You would never be able to convince me that right now, if Amari Cooper got a season-ending injury in week one or Tyron Smith got a season-ending injury in week one, the Dallas Cowboys would more, win more games with the Tyron Smith injury than they would with the Amari Cooper injury. And so I could pretty much—and and then if yeah. you take that to the next level with Patrick Mahomes or Tyreek Hill— then you obviously can't do it. But there's just other positions for me that are just of way bigger impact than wide receiver. I agree with that part. Yes, I agree that uh, offensive tackle, edge, and maybe a shutdown corner is uh, def- yeah. definitely more important. But yet, uh, this conversation kind of started from us talking about Dave Gettleman and how he looks for these character type of guys. And yeah. I'm, like, go- going through this draft, I mean, some of these guys who fit that character bill, like Kenneth Murray, I know we brought him up a little bit, but he's one of those guys who are really, Great really high yeah, great locker room guy. Like I think he has um, his brothers and sisters that were adopted are uh, special needs, and he helped raise them. And everybody at Oklahoma raves about like his character. Lloyd Cushenberry received the number eighteen jersey from LSU, which is a, which is somebody who displays the football character on and off the field. Him and I think Caleb on Chase on both had that. Caleb on Chase on was able to wear it, but uh, Cushenberry obviously couldn't wear it on the offensive side, but he wore it in practice. So he's somebody else who is a. Uh, of a position of need for the New York Giants that everybody reveres as high character and uh, do good kind of locker room presence. So I think it's interesting to kind of dive into some of these prospects and look at the ones that the Giants might be interested in that have that high leadership. So I think Dave Gettleman puts a lot of weight into that and looks at seniors, looks at people who have a lot of starting experience and people who have leadership capabilities and are going to be good locker room guys to make everything stable, which is something the Giants need. They really do. 
Yep. There's no doubt about it, Nick. All right, you've heard my seven steps. We've talked about if you agree or disagree, your reaction to them, but would there be any other steps that you would, A, prioritize higher, or B, add to the list that I missed altogether? I don't think there's anything I prioritize higher. A lot of these steps are little microcosms to what we've been discussing and talking about on this podcast for a very long time. I think I I really like step two because in this loaded wide receiver class, a lot of people are tempted by these top end wide receivers, but I do think you need to be smart in allocating your assets towards a position that's really deep when you have as many holes as the Giants have on their current roster. And I look at the nickel position. There's not anything really on here about the nickel position. I think that's something that could be could be explored if the yep. Giants do trade back and get more assets. I don't know if the Giants can really allocate a, a top pick, and top pick, say like a top four pick that they have towards the nickel position right now. Like someone like Troy Pride or Amik Robertson, who I really like too. Love them both, yeah. La Tech and Troy Pride's from Notre Dame, just because the Giants don't have that many picks. And you do have three bodies that you're kind of hoping can develop and hoping can right. uh, be that nickel position, if not Julian Love. But that's something right. that I think Giants fans um, put a high precedent on. And I think that could possibly be added, but it all depends on how they can get some of if, if your step one comes to fruition and if they can get some more va- or picks that they can kind of have the luxury to go after that position and bring in somebody who can really compete. So you can use Julian Love in a multitude of different ways and, and really help the versatility of the back end of the defense. Yep. No doubt about it, Nick. And I, I, looking back on this now, I can throw in a couple that I think I missed one avoid. IDLs, avoid interior defensive linemen at all costs on days one and two. Don't do it. Yeah. Doesn't matter how tempting it is. Don't do it. You can't afford to. Just don't freaking do it. Even if you could afford to, I wouldn't want to do it enough. I would say the same goes for running back for me and tight end and quarterback for me. Don't do it. You can't afford to. I don't care if they take a guard, though. Surprise. Like, if they surprise guard me on day on day two for, for something, I might get excited about something like that. They don't really need a guard right now, but maybe that means they think he can play center. Or maybe that means they can, you know, get explore the possibility of moving on from Zeitler later on, and this guy develops. I'm never going to ever complain about taking an offensive lineman, you know, to be honest. Like, there are some centers I don't want to take at 36. Hennessy, I don't like Nick Harrison. I don't understand how they're moving so far up boards. But... I'm never going to really complain about taking an offensive lineman on at, at, at any point in any draft. Unless Austin Jackson's the fourth overall. Pick. Yeah, okay. So, so <laughs> forgot some specific guys or even 36 for Jackson. I don't even want to use 99 on Austin Jackson. I don't. don't want. I'd rather have Tyler Biotish than Austin Jackson 10 out of 10 times. I don't see this working out with Austin Jackson. Hopefully for his sake, I'm wrong, but that'll be my guy. I don't see working out this whole NFL transition thing for him. And maybe it will down the line for him. I don't want to totally, you know, bash some guy in for his old career. But that, that sure, there. It, I guess it's not a tried and true. I'll always like an offensive lineman. I totally understand where you're coming from. But uh, yeah, that would be interesting. The Austin Jackson at 99. That that um, that, that I'd be sure. much more open. To, I'd be much more open to sure. just uh, on upside in the on upside, right? Yeah, Mark Colombo could really uh develop the kid. But I I understand where you are uh coming from. That dude, the draft is right around the corner, bro. I know it's almost here. Thank you all for tuning in. This was another one of our daily draft podcasts for the Big Blue Banter. We're really racking them up heading into the draft. You guys asked for it. You guys are still enjoying them and downloading them, so we're going to keep them coming. There's no reason not to uh, as long as you guys are enjoying it. If you do want to help the show, do us one favor. It's the only favor we'll ever ask, but we will continue to ask it because why not? 
and that's rate and review us on iTunes. Make sure you also subscribe to the podcast, and when you subscribe, you'll get all the new episodes pop up in your feed, and from there, you can download the podcast. That's the most important way you can help us, just simply downloading the podcast. We really do appreciate some of these ratings and reviews. We tried to read some off last time. I think that'll be a fun thing. I'll try to end each podcast with reading off some of your reviews. I'll I'll read off a negative one here uh, from Giant Jeff 50 Typical analytics guy never sniffed a football field along with the co-host and his nasally voice. That's me for sure. I definitely have a nasally voice. I cannot help that, Jeff. I am sorry. That's just hey, my life. Am I the analytics guy? <laughs> I think you are the anal- typical analytics guy that, here. Nick. Actually, the opposite of what I am. <laughs> I am just that nasal nasal voice that I've just never been able to, you know, kind of get away with. I'm born into it. And uh, one time got my nose broken. So that kind of affected, I think. But really annoying, he says. It sounds terrible. Everything is based on analytics, which I don't think is true, by the way. He says everything is based on analytics. Um, and those play and those takes, analytic takes on players in the past have been dead wrong. I don't think this guy's listened to our podcast in the past. I don't understand why anyone would go on to here. Like, if you don't like our show, I get it. It's fine. Just move on. Listen to another show. The people who, like, do this to us on Twitter, by the way, is is the same example. It's an extension of this, Nick. Anyone who goes after me or Nick on Twitter or takes the time to negatively give us a one-star review, like, you need to reevaluate your life, man, or woman or whatever. You really need to reevaluate it, man. Like, Think of positive things. Do something positive with your time. Don't. This is just a negative thing to do, and it doesn't help anyone. Like, sorry, but there's for your one five uh, one star review, we have fifty. We have two hundred and four five star reviews. So I think you might be on the on the wrong end of this one. But um, I will read off a a, a nice one to kind of round this out. Dude, and that's you, from, let me just add something to the negative yes, review. That guy's yes. just taking his childhood out on you. So just you know, whatever, whatever. <laughs> Taking his childhood out. I don't give a crap about any of these. I think they're funny. I could care less. Um, but I will lead read a positive one from D Solo um, Salau. He says a must listen every time for Giants fans. This is definitely my favorite Giants podcast. The guys break down the team fairly and objectively. Thank you. And if you're a diehard fan, this should be your go-to pod. So thank you for that, D Solo. We really appreciate all of the reviews from everyone um, who took the time to do this, who downloads it, everything like that. It's just awesome stuff. I really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. You make this awesome for us. So on that note, we're going to end this pod, but we'll be talking to you soon. Like we said, a pod a day leading up to the draft, and then here comes the big one, Thursday night. Can't wait. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.